You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Anymore. Book of 1 Corinthians to start with and verses 23 and 24. And uh, I am getting older, but I am not senile. I realize this is the same passage I've turned to for the third straight week, but that is intentional. Um, I don't know if I've reached that age yet, but uh, at some point I will reach the age to where I will have to uh, select a number of people to be watching and paying attention to me that if I start slipping or declining, I need them to point it out to me so they can uh, send me out to pasture, you know. But uh, anyway, but I don't think that point some of you are thinking, man, I want to be on that team. And, uh, and I want to start evaluating now, uh, because rather than put me out to pasture, you may send me somewhere else. Um, so anyway, but uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, I want to preach to you about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I think it's cool that we sing the, the old hymn, uh, He Arose. Of course, as Ryan said, we often think about that as an Easter hymn, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus Christ, uh, we, we truly celebrate that each Sunday as Christians. And truly, we celebrate and rejoice in that fact on a daily basis. Because the thing you need to understand is that the Christian life is not some kind of cheap imitation of the best we can do for Christ. Folks, the Christian life is really about a transformation that takes place in an individual's heart that enables and empowers them for for Christ to live through us. And so truly, the message of the resurrection, the message of the cross in general, is not a message that's just reserved for one time of year. For the Christian, the cross is more than just something you put on top of a place of worship or a piece of jewelry that you may wear or something you may have in your home. It may be those things, but it's much more than that. And so I want to read these verses in verse 23 and 24 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 where the Bible says, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So let's pray. Father, I pray you'll help us in these moments. Lord, uh, I am extremely unable to communicate this glorious message in and of myself, but I do pray for your touch, your anointing, your hand to be upon me. Lord, you know the need of every life here today. You love each individual here today, and you have a work you want to do in their life. And I pray today that you'll help somebody to find true freedom in Jesus Christ, to try to find true security in knowing you and knowing the forgiveness of their sins. And I thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The cross is indeed the central event of biblical theology, but it's more than that. Truly, the cross is a pivotal point in all of human history. When we think about the cross and the gospel, I'll probably use those two interchangeably today. The cross... Because the cross doesn't just mean the place that Jesus died. It's it's the message that's represented in the fact that Jesus came to die, the fact that he was buried, the fact that he rose again on the third day. And so the cross, the gospel, I will use a little interchangeably today, but the gospel is the scarlet thread that weaves its way throughout the biblical narrative From the very book in the Bible, the opening chapter in the book of Genesis, all the way down to the close, there's a scarlet thread weaved all the way through, and it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the gospel is in every book of the Bible. It's the ultimate conclusion to every Old Testament story. It's the, and and, and every New Testament passage flows from the cross. It all connects. It's all interrelated. And it's the cross. It's the gospel. Again, it's, the, it's, it's also not only the scarlet thread that runs throughout the Bible, but my point today that I want to suggest to you is that it's also the scarlet thread that holds together everyday growth 
and transformation in the life of the believer. So the cross means more than just, number one, that Jesus died. And for those that are saved, it means more than just, wow, that's awesome. Jesus died. He rose again. And man, I base my salvation on that. And by the way, that's the answer. If there were ever a question, and if, there, if it was true that you would have to answer a question, which you won't, but theoretically, if you, were at, if you were to die today, stand before God, and God say, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Well, the, the proper answer is Jesus. If it starts with a personal pronoun... <laughs> Uh, it's, it's the wrong idea. I, me. Or if it starts with some church or something to that effect. Folks, it's Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that and that's what we preach. But as Christians, it's not just where we base our salvation. Folks, the gospel runs through everyday growth, everyday living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as all scripture points to God's good news, so every day following Him flows from that same good news. The gospel both saves and sanctifies. Faith in Jesus is not merely an escape from eternal condemnation, which does await those who die without Christ. But it's not merely an escape from that. It is actu- it's the actual birth and starting point of a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And not only a brand new life, but Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So it's the start, it's the beginning. And folks, from the gospel flows the key to living an abundant life in Jesus Christ. It it is in life, but it's an abundant life. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. So if you just were to turn over perhaps a page there to the second chapter in the second verse where where Paul says, For I determined... Not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was coming to a place where they really valued uh, wisdom and and, uh, and knowledge and they were a very um, philosophical people. So they enjoyed debating and discussing philosophy and, and I enjoy all those things and they have their place. But he said, when I'm coming, he said, I've got one message for you. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In other words, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. I'm going to preach the gospel when I come. Why? Because, folks, mark this down. The gospel cannot be outdone. It just can't. The gospel can't be outdone. The gospel can never be exhausted. Folks, that's the message that we preach. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. The Bible says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And this is interesting because the very first word, the second word in that verse is brethren. So he is saying, I've I've got something to say to you, those who have been born again, who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's what I've got to say to you. Okay, Paul, give me something profound. Give me something that will blow my mind. Give me something entertaining maybe. But no, he says this, the gospel. (laughs) I'm going to give you the gospel. And then some may say, well, I I know the gospel already. But if you have that attitude, I assure you, you don't understand the gospel already. Because, folks, the power of the gospel, again, goes to everyday life. We preach through this Bible verse by verse, word through word. And as we do so, we discover that the Bible addresses everyday living, practical things, the things that matter to us. Uh, you know, uh, living, work, marriage, parenting, um, you know, things that address the, the kids that are, that are in elementary school, middle school, all these things are addressed, the issues. But folks, it's an outflow from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power for living and being successful. And when we talk about success, we talk about obedience. Uh, success is obedience to what God calls us to do, not results. But as we think about this, here's what he said. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you received, and I love this, wherein ye stand. And I want to say today that as a Christian and as a church today, we take our stand in the gospel. Wherein ye stand, he says. 
And I would, say, I would add to that, glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Amen. Like a tree standing by the waters, I shall not be moved. We take our stand in the gospel, both in terms for salvation and both in terms for Christian living and Christian service. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation, that does speak of our communication, but it speaks of what we communicate with our lives. It has to do with our lifestyle. So you could say our conversation, you could say our lifestyle, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. So talking to Christians, he says your life should reflect the gospel. He goes on to say that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, notice this, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, you see the emphasis of the gospel here. And it is the message, the gospel is the message of this church, of Elk Point Baptist Church. Uh, recently, uh, Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed the heartbeat bill to help protect the unborn in Iowa. Uh, Nicole was there. I'm sure some of the other folks that work for her health in Sioux uh, City were there also. And they had a special speaker, which is uh, somebody that I really enjoy listening to, a man by the name of Alistair Begg. He was invited to speak, so he spoke in Des Moines here a few weeks ago. And the MC had asked something or said something along the lines of what he's going to preach. You know, what is your message today? And I love Alistair Begg's response. It was something like this, Zach. I only have one message. I only have one message. And that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, well, won't that get boring after a while? No, because as I told you, it's not just coming in here every day and saying, okay, turn to the gospel, you know, to, to Matthew, and we're going to read about how he died, how he was buried, and how he rose again. But what we do is we go see, well, you can see the gospel in Genesis. So as we're preaching through Genesis, we're preaching the gospel. As we're preaching through 1 Samuel, we're preaching the gospel. As we're preaching through Revelation, we're preaching the gospel. That's the idea because that's, throughout, it all comes from that. It's either leading to that or it comes from that. I only have one message, the gospel message. The message of the cross is first of all, here's a couple points. What does the cross have to do with me today as a Christian? If you don't know Christ, it means that Jesus paid it all, and I'll probably continue to allude to that, because it's through the gospel that we are saved and forgiven of our sins. That we can be assured of where we're going to spend eternity. What's going to happen to us after we die. And so forth. But what does the cross have to do with you as a Christian? Number one, I want to say that the cross is a compelling force. The cross is a compelling force. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ constrains. The love of Christ compels us to serve and to bring others to Christ. Not to in, it, 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 it compels us not to continue in the emptiness of a self-centered life, but to find fulfillment in thinking of others. You know, Sigmund Freud famously, uh, he didn't really coin the... the the psychology behind this, but he really pushed and popularized the, the idea of fulfillment is found in basically just satisfying whatever your desires are. Don't say no to any desire. Just fulfill these desires. And of course, you know, this is where, you know, religion would come in and well, it's just a construct of man to try to keep you from fulfilling these things. But for him, the teaching is the ultimate fulfillment is just do it. Go after what you want. Make self number one. Make an idol out of yourself. And just, you know, serve yourself. Satisfy yourself. But what the truth of the matter is, studies are very clear. What happens with people that do that? They do that to their own self-destruction. And they don't find fulfillment. They only find more emptiness. They only find more broken promises. They only find more pain. And many of us can identify with that. Satisfy yourself. Do what you want. Please yourself. I'm telling you, it does not satisfy. But there's interesting, there was an opposing psychologist that come out and said, no, true fulfillment is not found in serving self, but in serving others. Mm -hmm. And in finding a greater purpose in others. 
And there's so much truth to that. And then uh, greater than either of those guys is the Word of God, amen, and what God says, which is the same thing. So the cross encourages us as Christians not to continue in the emptiness of a self-centered life, but find fulfillment in thinking of others. You know, the Christian life isn't just about you. And it's not just about me. It's about Christ. It's about others. Why did Jesus come? For others. He came for somebody else. He came and He laid down His life for others. And so the, 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 we see that illustrated in Christ, but that also should be a part of our lives as God's people. That's not a popular message, but it's a true message. We're, we're not charged with the compelling force. We're not charged with the political agenda or the left or the right. But we are charged with the biblical message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, oftentimes, if you're going to preach through the Bible and you're going to preach the truth of God's Word, you're going to find out that, uh, that preaching intersects into that world. Or, but, it, but it starts when that world has infringed upon our world. But, but the bottom line is this. The church has never been and never is to be a, a, another arm of a political party of any kind. We are here to preach Christ and Him crucified. And I want to say this, if there was ever a moment in time, surely it's this moment. It's this time to go out as God's people into this world, this dark world, this searching world, this hurting world, to lovingly, kindly, imaginatively, creatively, crazily say to people, I've got really good news. I've got some really good news for you. I've got a really good friend I'd like to tell you about. I'd like to tell you about a Savior. His name is Jesus. I want to tell you about what He's done in my life and what He can do in your life. And as God's people, the gospel compels us in this world around us with so much confusion, so much chaos, to be able to stand, I mean, as a stalwart, to take our stand in the gospel and not be tossed around with all that's going on in the world, but to say, I've put my trust in Christ, the soon coming King, and, uh, and not to say that I don't have concerns about the things going on around me. We don't live in some weird thing to where it's a pie in the sky situation. But we say, in spite of all these things, praise God, I've got a Savior who ultimately is in control. He's in control of my life. And I'm telling you, He's got a plan. His plan will be fulfilled. God's people, we have a message. Galatians 2.20. I'm sorry, I'll give you that one in just a moment. So we can tell people the compelling force, the gospel, the cross, compels us as Christians to tell somebody else about Jesus. i got to tell you this is a blessing. Uh, earlier this week, I got a call from, well, let me back up here a little bit, give you just a, a quick story. And some of you will get tired of hearing it. I'll probably bring pictures in Wednesday. Uh, because earlier this summer in June, I had a wonderful privilege to go down to North Carolina, which is where I'm from, for those of you that don't know. Uh, but go down to North Carolina, and I went to the youth camp to where I surrendered to preach. I surrendered my life to do whatever God wanted me to do, and I surrendered to, to preach the gospel that, that the Lord wanted me to preach. And, um, and we do things a little different down there than you might be used to, and many people would be used to, I'd say. But, but, but I got down to the altar as a, as, as a young man, and I, I knelt there, and I said, Lord, well, actually, I didn't say a whole lot. When I got down there, it was just confirmed in my heart I knew God wanted me to preach. My, I'd been questioning it. I'd been asking God for a while, but it was confirmed. There was no more questioning it. There was other people that were in the altar praying, and this was before preaching the, the preaching or anything. We were up here praying. And I got up from here, and I got up and I told the, the pastor that was the moderator over, over the camp, and I said, God just called me to preach. And he said, okay, well, tell us a little bit about it. I got behind the pulpit and started telling about it. Pretty soon I started getting to preaching a little bit. Next thing you know, uh, Brother John Melton said, all right, somebody get him his Bible and let him preach. And so I literally got up from the altar, jumped in the pulpit, and preached that night's message at the youth camp, if you can imagine. Uh, a 12-year-old come forward along with several others that trusted Christ. They heard the gospel. They trusted Christ that night. One of those 12-year-olds began somebody that my wife and I kind of ended up taking in. He had come from a bad situation, uh, mom prostitute, homeless a lot of times. He spent a lot of time with my wife and I. We took him in. And uh, kind of a mentor, big brother situation. The older he got, we become best friends. And, uh, and we, do, we do stuff together every year. Um, 
ever since then. Stay in contact all the time. His ki my kids call him uncle. Uh, his kids call me uncle. He's got six kids. They call me uncle. But long story short, to tell you the point of all this, I got a call this week, and it was his number, but there was a sweet little voice on the other end of the line. And it was his, it was his youngest son, Jace. And uh, he said, Uncle Jesse. And I said, hey, what's going on, buddy? He said, I got something to tell you. And I said, what is it? He said, I got saved. I trusted Jesus this week, amen? And uh, so wonderful, just sweet. So he had to call Uncle Jesse just to let him know that he got saved. It was such a blessing. Uh, well, then I talked to Jason about a day or two later, and he's like, man, he said, I walked in the other day, and Jace, uh, and I should have the ages, ages here. I'm terrible. Sorry, kids, nieces and nephews. Uh, but he's younger. He's got an older sister that hadn't got saved yet. And Jason walked in to... Jace talking to his sister uh, Lucy, telling her about how to be saved and asking her, why have you not got saved yet? So in other words, the point is, God saves us, we should have the desire that somebody else comes to Christ. Amen? We, because, man, we have found something pretty awesome that we should want to share with others. That's what the gospel compels us to do. It's not, and the difference, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but that's one reason why the way... True Christian life works is it's not the preacher or somebody else getting up here and trying to whip you and push you and say, okay, Hawker, when you go to school this week, you better tell five people about Jesus when, once school starts. You better. No, it shouldn't be that. It should be, well, Pastor, you don't have to tell me I better. I know Jesus. I'm, I'm glad to tell my friends about Jesus, right? Uh, that, that, the, so the gospel compels us. We're not forced. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Some, many of you are familiar with the, uh, the story from World War II and uh, the hero that uh, the, the movie Hacksaw Ridge was based on Desmond Doss. Uh, Desmond Doss single-handedly saved the lives of 75 American soldiers in Okinawa in 1945. But man, my, fa my, my favorite, maybe could be one of my favorite movie scenes of all time, Second service in a row, I'm talking about movie scenes, by the way, but um, was at the end, but it was a true story. He said this is exactly how it went, and many of you perhaps have read the story or have seen the movie, but he, he was a medic, and as a medic, he wasn't going to leave those people that were injured, uh, and even though, so there was a bunch of men shot down, injured again, 75 that he was able to save, there's probably, you know, well over uh, a couple hundred up there, but the rest of the... Uh, Unit went back down Hacksaw Ridge back to safety, and then they were going to come back again the next day and try it again. Well, he stayed up there all throughout the night, and some of you know the story, but what he would do is he would, he would go around, and, and remember, Japanese are watching this place. Japanese are even going around. If they see anybody that are moving and, and, and breathing still, they're going around killing them, making sure they're dead. And all around this, with the cover of darkness, this guy is running all around and trying to find people to save tie a big rope around, lower them down the ridge, this huge ridge, and save their life. And he's just a little guy. He's not a big guy. But, but it's just the coolest thing ever, man, because, and I'm getting emotional thinking about it, but, but he's wore out. He was, he's already been in battle. He's already been up on this ridge. He's dragging men to this ridge, carrying men to this ridge, lowering them down with the rope, going back down. <laughs> Every time he would, he would lower a man down and they'd get to the bottom. And, and he, his hands are just tore up and he's just exhausted. And he's laying there and he just says this, Lord, please, just help me get one more. Just one more. Then he goes and he, and he hears somebody else and he sees somebody else moving. And he takes them and he drags them and he carries them and he gets them. And he lowers them down and he's spent and he's trying to catch his breath, and he's hungry, and he's tired, and he's wore out, and he just lays there, and he says, Lord, just one more, just one more. And he goes back, and he gets one more. Comes back, Lord, just one more, one more. And he did this until he had saved 75 American soldiers. What's the point behind all that? If Desmond Doss was concerned enough to save the lives of his fellow countrymen, can we not be concerned enough about our friends? our families, our neighbors, just to say, Lord, just one more. Help me just to get one to you, Jesus. Help me to get one rescued from this, this life of hopelessness that they're living. God, they're looking for stuff in this world. They're just going to keep coming up empty. It breaks my heart because I see people that are living lives that they weren't meant to live. God wants people to have, live a life of peace and abundance and purpose. 
But I just see people whose lives are wasted. I've got friends and family. It's broken. It breaks my heart to this day. And I'm just looking at them. I'm like, this, this offer is there. Salvation is there for you. You don't have to destroy your life. You don't have to destroy your life in dependence upon, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and, and chemicals and so forth. Man, there's something greater for you. You don't have to waste your life away in the endless vanity of religion and emptiness of religion. You can know Christ. So the cross compels us as Christians to say, hey, man, I, I would just love to tell you about the one who can save you. I'd love to tell you about the one who, uh, who, who can forgive you. I'd love to tell you about what you're missing. The Apostle Paul, he went into the city of Athens. The city of Athens back in these ancient times. And he went in the city of Athens and they were a, a city, the Bible says, that was wholly given to idolatry. In other words, th th there, was a, there was a historian that said that it was easier to bump into a god in Athens than it was a person. And Athens was one of the biggest cities of the ancient world. But the point is, when he says gods, he means idols. They had idols to every god that you could imagine. Every god you could imagine, they had idols. And, and, and then they had one idol that Paul came across. And as he came across that idol, there was a superscription written underneath it that said to the unknown God. So they made, they had, they, 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 they made every God they could think of as far as idols, but then they made one idol just in case they missed one. And so what Paul said is, I'm going to tell you about the God that you're missing. I want to proclaim to you the God that you're missing. And that, as Christians, we have that wonderful opportunity to tell people about the God that they're missing. The God that they're missing. So, the, the gospel is a compelling force. The gospel, number two, is a correcting force. Without the preaching of the cross of Christ to ourselves, as Christians, all day, every day, if we're not careful, we will quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our acceptance. I'll say that again. One of the biggest messages of the gospel when we're talking to people how to be saved, the Bible says, hey, for by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we say, you need to understand if you've not yet trusted Christ that there's nothing you can do. There's no behavioral modification that you do to save yourself. Jesus paid it all, right? And, and as Christians, we, we believe that and we preach that and, that. and that's good news we tell to the world. But we forget about verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 where the Bible says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, what we forget is the Christian life is not, okay, now we're saved by grace, but we're going to gain our continual acceptance with God on the, on the basis of our behavior, on the basis of our works. It's not that way. Now, God makes a change in our works and in what we do, but it's not this cheap performance-based model of Christianity on whether or not God's going to accept us. Folks, the Bible says we are accepted in the beloved. Not that you, you might be today, but, uh, or you might be this part of the day, but you know, here you are at church, and so your behavior's pretty, boy, look at you, you're doing all right. You know, as I said earlier, that, that some people have just reduced Jesus to a behavior uh, monitor. Oh, it did good at church today. Oh, it's all right. Oh, you lost your temper with your wife on the way to the restaurant. That's not a good one. She asked you, <laughs> she, 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 she asked you, why'd you park here? And you just lost it. There's one against you, buddy. That's not, that's not the Christian life, folks. It's, it's not, oh, accepted, you're here, good deal. Oh, not accepted now, you better straighten up some. No, that's not the Christian life. We're accepted in Him, therefore, our behavior will be different, but we've got a different motivation. So there, it's a correcting force. If we take our eyes off the cross, if we're not careful, we can only give lip service to its efficacy. In other words, the power of the cross, the power the cross is supposed to have in our lives but if, we get, if we're depending on ourselves and living as if our salvation depends upon ourselves, we soon get to one of two places. We either get to a place of abject despair and a heart, uh, or, 
a horrible kind of arrogance. In other words, if you're trying to do right, you, keep, you get to despair because you just can't do right enough. Or you somehow tell yourself and you compare yourself with enough other people to where you tell yourself, I am doing good. And then you've got this horrible arrogance. We are all susceptible to these things. But the cross reminds us that that's not the case. It's the cross of Christ that deals with both the depths of despair when you feel like a loser and you'll never get it. And it's the cross that answers the pretentious arrogance of pride. No matter which side you're on, the gospel is a correcting force. Galatians 2.20 says it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. So it's a correcting force. It's a compelling force. And then lastly, it's a confident source. It's a confident source. A couple weeks ago, preaching about the thief on the cross, the cross of Christ, I raised a couple of questions. There were a couple of questions, three questions, that were raised by Gauguin, the, uh, the artist who in his largest painting actually did something he never does and he wrote in the corner of his largest painting these three questions in French. And I'm not going to read them in French. I'm going to read them in English. But he wrote, these are the questions. Where do we come from? What are we? And where are we going? And if you were to look up that painting, you would see it's, uh, it, it's a pretty, it's, it's a kind of a hopeless looking painting. Uh, what's represented there, it's not like a bright, beautiful thing. It's a man that paints this with these, with these questions that he can't seem to get answered. Where do we come from? What are we? And where are we going? You know, if you go out in the streets of your neighborhood, if you go out in the streets of Sioux City, uh, Elk Point, Sioux Falls, Mobile, uh, you know, wherever, the, wherever you may come from, folks in uh, Nebraska, no matter where you may go, the average millennial, or anybody for that matter, but the average millennial has been raised believing that they exist as a result of time plus matter plus chance. <coughs> that they are a collection of molecules just held in suspension. There's no ultimate destiny towards which they are moving. Therefore, there is no ark that they can navigate through their lives. They're just hopelessly drifting through life as if they were lost at sea. But the gospel is a confident source because when we understand the gospel, when we look at the cross, we've got to ask ourselves, again as we did last week, who died? Who died on the cross? Well, it's God the Son. Then we understand why He died. Why did the very Creator die that day? Why? Because we're separated from Him because of sin. So it begins to answer that question. Where where'd we come from? Well, there's a Creator. There's a God. Well, who am I? Well, you are a created being, a human being who has a missing piece in their heart and life that is a relationship with the God who made you. It is sin ultimately that separates us from this God. But the cross says more than that. The cross says that God loves us so much He wants to be together with you so much. Think about this. Jesus wants you to spend eternity with Him. Jesus wants to walk with you through this life so much that He would rather die than live eternity without you. That's exactly what He did. He went to the cross because He doesn't want to live eternity without you. Honestly, He doesn't want you to live the rest of this day without Him if you're not saved. That's what the cross says. So the cross is a confident source. It tells us that he wants us to be together with Him. And that which separated us was sin, but folks, He paid the price for the sin. How? He showed us the seriousness of sin. Sin's no joke. Folks, the Son of God was separated from God the Father. 
I mean, sin that separated us, He bore that sin by sacrificing Himself, by dying, being buried, rising again three days later. You know what the Gospel says? I'm talking about a confident source. The Gospel says, you must be awfully valuable. You must really be worth something. Now, but you say, well, I don't know about that. But if you know anything about appraising and appraisals, when you really get down to finding out how much something is worth, how much something is worth is normally how much somebody's willing to pay for it. Is that not right? You can, you, you can try to sell your car and say it's worth $50,000, but if that's not what, what people are willing to pay for it, that's not really what it's worth. Appraising something, because have you ever seen the stuff that sells for a lot of money? Millions of dollars? Why, why does somebody look at a sports, an old baseball card and say, oh, that baseball card will sell for a million dollars? It's not because, oh man, because this paper. Let me tell you about the paper and the ink that was used on this baseball card. It was remarkable. I mean, there, there was no other paper and ink like it in the world. And, and, and the photograph of this player, man, his sparkling eyes and, and that. It was nothing. None of that is valuable. None of that's valuable. What's valuable is what people are willing to pay. That's what makes its value. And it's the same for us. What is your value? Whatever somebody is willing to pay. And Jesus Christ went to the cross. Think about that. God gave His only begotten Son so that you could be saved. Because that's what you're worth. And there's nothing in the world that's worth more than that. Nothing. So 1 Corinthians 26 and 27, that same chapter 1, the Bible says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And you know, it's kind of funny because I'm sitting here telling you that you're valuable. But you say, well, preacher, you just got through a little bit ago saying that I'm a sinner. And now the Bible's saying that I'm weak. That don't sound very uplifting. Well, it's not. But it's the truth. But here's the uplifting part. God says, I'm going to use that which is weak for my glory. I'm going to use that which is despised for the glory of God. I'm telling you, you look around this room today. The Bible says not many wise are called. Not many strong are called. But, the, but, but if we be honest today, can we not be honest about our weakness today? Are you really Mr. Strong? Are you really Mrs. Righteous that's never done any sin or never done wrong? That's none of us. So there's no reason to pretend about that. But what God says is He takes the truth, sinful and weak people, and He says, man, I'm going to do something in your life. I'm going to make you a trophy of grace. I'm going to do something in your life that's just going to amaze people. Because what God does is He calls and saves people like me, people like you in this room, <laughs> that just had no chance, man. Honestly, I, I was seriously, uh, as far as the world standards were concerned, I was nothing but white trash. All I was. I mean, that, that's all I was. Uh, I was just a, uh, just, a, just a little dirty white kid, you know, raised in, in Greasy Corner, uh, part of town, what they called it. I mean, you've heard the story a thousand times, and, and somebody says, man, I love Greasy Corner, every time you bring it up. And, but, uh, but that's where it was, right? I mean, and, and nobody was looking at me and saying, that guy. And I promise you this, as I was running around as a glassy-eyed teenager, uh, punk kid, there wasn't too many people riding down the road and saying, oh wait, and that's the guy I want to be my pastor one day. That would be wonderful. <laughs> I would love for him to be the one to give me marital, marital counseling. That would just be great. You know. I would love for him to tell me, uh, you know, I would love for that guy to tell me how you can escape the, 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 the power of sin and the, and, and the dreadness of this world. I'd love for... No. Because, listen... Who I am today is because of the grace of God. And I want you to know something. The Bible says I've still got an old nature. That old nature is still with me. And always will be. But it's a miracle that through the power of God, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, God enables me and you as God's people. He enables us to be able to do something for Him, to be able to represent Him, to be able to love other people to be able to care for other people, to be able to be willing to do things for other people. Um, so we can have confidence in our identity. 
Uh, so con a confident source. You know, there's, when we think about identity, identity is a hot topic today, is an I identity. Uh, there's an identity crisis in many ways, and of course, some of it's just outright ridiculousness, is it not? But I'll tell you, identity is a pretty big thing today. But I'll tell you, identity has been a thing and has been a serious issue in the lives of Christians for a really long time. Traditional identity forms externally and horizontally. Traditional identity comes from, it's dependent on the approval and the affirmation of others. That's traditional identity. Modern identity forms internally, seeking to self-identify and to be liberated from the definitions of others. Nobody defines me. I'm going to define me. So traditional says, I'm being defined by others. Modern says, I'm going to identify myself. But both of these identity options are deeply broken and insufficient. And yet we all typically ping pong hopelessly between the two. On one hand, we need the external validation of others. On the other hand, we long for expressed individualism. You know, to be true to our hearts. But there's a third identity option. The gospel. The gospel identity doesn't look outward or inward. It looks upward. It looks upward. It's vertical. It rests in the abundant affirmation and validation that only a heavenly father can confer while also fully realizing the individuality that only an infinite creator could produce. Of course, all this is made possible by Jesus through the gospel. It is receiving your truest identity. Listen to this. Receiving your true identity in Him rather than trying to achieve your identity in Him. That's the gospel. It's not... Listen, so therefore, as a child of God, I can say that I'm not truly... I don't have to look. I don't have to have external approval. I've got God's approval. I don't need to have internal approval. I've got God's approval. The Bible says our, that our conscience will condemn us, but it says He's greater than our, our hearts, our conscience. I can't remember exactly how it's phrased. Other people want to condemn us. But I can say, well, you know what? If Jesus, the Bible says in 1 John 4, that we can have confidence in the day of boldness, or in the day, uh, boldness, confidence in the day of judgment, which is the idea of, hey, I know who I am. I'm not a perfect guy. But I'm a God who, I'm a guy, not a God, I'm a guy whom Jesus is working on. He's helping. I fail, I get back up. This whole thing, this whole process of living life. But ultimately, I'm gonna, I can stand before Jesus and say, but you know what? He loves me. He's helping me. He's forgiven me. And um, so, Jesus, ultimately, the point is this Jesus is good with me. And, and I've got the Bible to confirm that. We don't just make this up in our own hearts, we, we, this is a Bible based position. Jesus is okay with me. I'm not trying to do the whole, you know, smoke dope and say Jesus is my homie junk. I'm talking about Jesus is okay with me based on the Word of God. And uh, so when I think about that, you come to me and say, well, preacher, I just want you to know I'm not okay with you. Okay. You know, preacher, I don't like what you're wearing this morning. I just got to be honest with you. Okay. Jesus don't mind. But you know, the Bible says over there in First Bible College, chapter 2, class number 4, that, well, I don't care about that. And of course, you can see I'm being facetious. There's no Bible book called First Bible College, amen? Um, but, 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 okay. Jesus is okay with it. So, okay. You know, you get what I'm saying. All right. So, but, but that's the way we can, you, a gospel identity. Not the outward approval, not the inward approval, but folks, the inward approval, the vertical look. Not looking in, not looking out. Listen, you can be free from comparison. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to close this sucker out, but I tell you, if, if you live life, you know what comparison is. If you're on social media, you really know what comparison is. You can be free from that. If you go to school, Gunner Hawker, is there comparison there? Are you as tall as me, big as me, smart as me, fast as me, strong as me? Comparison, right? Whatever it is. But we can be free from the comparison of the, of the social media stream. The competition of, of the secular world. 
and the condemnation of our own hearts and histories. We can be set free from those things. Some of you are haunted by guilt and shame. You can be set free from that in Jesus Christ. The gospel makes us free from the opinions of others, free from man-made structures that some would impose on us. The gospel makes us free to obey our one Lord. And that's Jesus Christ. The gospel gives me the highest purpose in the universe to obey the voice of my Creator who calls me His child, who looks on me with infinite love, and who graces me every day with abundant mercy and strength to do exactly what He's called me to do. The gospel extends this invitation to all. Beginning with those who are saved, or beginning with those who are not saved, but this is truly a message to those that are saved in Matthew 11, when Jesus says, Come unto me. Will you come? You know, that's a big question, isn't it? You're there. God, you think about this. Think about how far Jesus comes to, before He says come. Came down from heaven, through, through a virgin, in this life, went to the cross, died, buried, rose again. He works in the hearts of millions to make sure that the gospel, the good news of this message goes on. He works in your life and in my life to get us, whether in a church or whether with a friend somewhere, it's not an accident. There is no accident sitting here right now. And you're not here because of accident. And you're not listening because of accident. God, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, he has orchestrated, He has worked things to the place to where He comes, He comes just right here. But the one thing He will not do is grab a hold of you and force you the rest of the way. He comes right here, right here to you. And then He says, come. Will you let go of whatever you're holding on to? Kevin, i got another illustration. Will you let go of whatever you're holding on to? The African monkey trap. Any monkeys in here? <laughs> Trey? Okay. Quit acting like one then. Um, African monkey traps. All right. There's this old form of, uh, ancient form of hunting to catch monkeys. It's pretty clever. What they do, they take an old gourd, they tie like a rope or something to it, tie it to the fasten it to the ground, tie it to a tree, and they'd put a hole about that big in this gourd, and down in there they'd put some kind of little treat, some kind of little fruit, something that the monkey might want to get. All right? So what the monkey does is it goes, investigates, it smells something good down in there, and so it does its hand like this so it can get it down through the hole, and down through the hole it goes. And then it reaches around and it finds it. And it has it. I got it. Now the monkey wants its little treat. So now that monkey starts trying to pull his hand out of the hole. But he can't get it out because it can only come out like this, the same way it went in. But he's got a hold of it. And what that monkey will do is sit there, Trey, going all around that gourd, Woo, woo, has a, I'm a grandpa, that's what I do with air all the time. Woo, ha, ha, you know, and so that, that, that monkey will go all around that gourd, trying to get loose, trying to go, all the way till finally that hunter hears it and says, okay, I think we got one. Boop, 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 you know, go over there, bam, you know, chop, whatever they do, monkey's dead. Why? I could, then you get to have monkey stew that night, all because that monkey wouldn't let go. Can I say this today? Don't be a monkey. <laughs> Don't be a monkey. Let go. Let go. Let, let, let go of your preconceived notions. Let go of your traditional ideas. Let go of that sin that you're holding on to. Because ultimately what you don't realize is what you think is so great to hold on to is ultimately a trap. Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart. I'm gentle. And ye shall find rest unto your souls. 
For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Folks, performance-based acceptance is heavy. Performance-based acceptance is heavy. Trying to appease God with our good works is heavy. But Jesus says, my way is light. My way is easy. Don't mean life's easy, but he's just saying as far as, he said you'll find rest unto your souls. The world may be in turmoil, but you'll find rest unto your souls. Let's all stand here today. And I will start by saying once again, if you're a monkey, would you let go? If you're holding on to something that's keeping you from freedom and life, would you let go today? And child of God, I'll say to you, that ultimately this message was involving you, man. That, the, the, cross, the gospel compels us to tell others. The gospel corrects us and reminds us that it's not of our works, even as Christians. The gospel reminds us that in Him we can have confidence that our identity comes from Him. The Bible says in Ephesians that if you're saved, the Bible says you're a saint. It says you're blessed. It says you're chosen and adopted. It says that you're accepted in, in His love. It says you are redeemed. It says that you've got an inheritance. It says that you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God and that you're in the family of God. It tells us that our identity is in having access to Him, having access to wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. It promises us a bright future. We're more than conquerors through Him. That's our identity. We need, to, we need to sometimes just learn how to quit trying and start trusting. Quit looking in our, to our performance and just looking to the fact that we've been accepted and live from that. Grace always goes further than the law. It doesn't come short, it goes further. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, hey, listen, He's come a long way to reach out His hand and say, come, I ask you this right now, would you reach out your hand and say, okay, Lord, I believe you. I come, I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. I'm asking you to come into my heart and life and to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm repenting. I'm changing my mind about sin. I'm changing my mind about that which I've been holding on to. Lord, and I want you instead, and I want your forgiveness. If you're like that today, wouldn't you just like to come? If you would, you can do it something like this today. Maybe from your heart right where you're standing. You could ask and say, Dear Lord Jesus, I come. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I come and pray that you'll come into my heart and my life. Lord, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Child of God, could you... If you prayed that, by the way, it doesn't mean anything in words, but if, you, if that's from your heart, receiving Him, child of God, I encourage you, man. Trust Him. Look to Him. Don't fall into the trap of self-defense. Don't fall into the, uh, fall into the trap of self-abuse uh, you know, and putting yourself down all the time. Right before we close out the service today, we've got uh, a family that's wanting to join the church, and so uh, we're going to... I'm going to welcome the Emmerich family to come forward if they would at this time and just come stand down here toward the front and let the folks look at you and look out there at them. And, uh...